It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it. Great to be with you. Midweek edition. It's Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency for all your equipment financing needs. Go Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. We're streaming again. Can watch us if you so dare on ESPN Lincoln's Facebook and Twitter. Also, give us a follow on Hale Varsity Radio's Twitter handle at HVarsity Radio. The show streaming there. Phone numbers for you to get in at 466 3776. 466 3776. Toll free where you can hear us around the state of Nebraska. 1 800 825 5865. Can email Chris at Hale Varsity. Dot com and give us a follow on our own Twitter handles, Chris Schmidt at Schmidt underscore radio and Elijah. Find him at Herbal Essence for Elijah Herbal. So, you know, a lot to get into here. Some thoughts from Mark Whipple, some thoughts from Bill Bush and Mike Babcock. We'll dive into Purdue with us here in about 15 minutes. Mike Shuhart, Shuey loves him some uh, some golf at Wilderness Ridge. But Shuey also loves uh, Nebraska football, uh, loves them when they're winning, is frustrated when they're losing. Shuey has got to see, uh, like many of you, back-to-back wins. What's in store Saturday night at Purdue? We'll talk with Shuey. Husker basketball at uh, the Target Center in Minneapolis. Coach Fred and Coach Amy doing their thing. Great coverage with HaleVarsity.com to be sure to check that out in hour two evan bland from the omaha world harold he'll join us before he departs for west lafayette you have the numbers you can interact on the stream yard it's all set to go so i i think the concern for saturday night for a lot of nebraska fans is is environment is the team you're facing uh, is is the opposing coaching staff right with with how good Brom is? Brom's a guy who's in his tenure has a nine win season under his belt. He's tagged uh, a really good Iowa team. He's destroyed Urban Meyer, right? Uh, I mean, when when big dogs come to Purdue to Ross eight at night, they find a way more not more times than not but they've found a way nebraska is not in that discussion but purdue had a couple of big pelts big game hunting last year right they, they got iowa uh, as they were ranked number two in the country and they also whacked sparty when they were number five one of those was on the road so good football team veteran football team and you know how does nebraska counter that a little bit more insight as to why it was 14 to 13 and maybe you ran out of Jack Daniels last Friday night. And Whipple dives into it, not as an excuse, but more so as a reasoning. And Nebraska didn't practice that well 
offensively. Uh, they're a work in progress on the offensive line. You know you got your big three uh, that you can lean on, but you're praying your quarterback and Casey Thompson can stay healthy. And Elijah, what can happen within the span of a week for this Nebraska offense? Because maybe I'm crazy, but I think you need to get in and get out of there with 30 points. Way easier said than done uh, on a road on a road trip like this to Purdue because of how well their defense plays against the run. Uh, Tom Deanhart told us yesterday, look, you can you can do some work against them in the past game. And Nebraska has shown the ability to do that. They just haven't shown the consistency to protect when it comes to the quarterback. So I'm interested in, in just what do you see from Nebraska's offense? Do you see more of, of an Indiana output where you hit some big plays and you put some drives together? Or is it going to be a, a white-knuckler, low-scoring affair? I think the defense is playing well. We just don't know how limited Reimer and Newsom will be and what's that gap between your ones and twos at two really key spots. Newsom's played good football. Reimer's uh, probably your best defensive player. And if they can go, great. But how good can they be? And if they get dinged, you don't want to lose them long term. Maybe you're going with Va uh, or Kolarovic uh, more at the inside spot along with Henrich. And then also you've got more as your backup option opposite corner of the true freshman Hartsog. So it's not real convenient right now, right now for Nebraska, but coaches are they're, they're paid and they get it. Their, their job's to coach up the number twos and see if they can uh, contribute and, and help Nebraska get a win Saturday night. And I think that, that loss of Reimer, if he does not play on Saturday, and I don't have any inside knowledge here. I don't know whether he's going to be a go or not. Um, Schmitty, I'm sure you and I will probably hear a little bit more as we get a little bit closer to Saturday about his status. But Luke Reimer is probably your only linebacker. I mean, Isaac Gifford can go out and cover a tight end, but he's more of a nickel than he's a true mm-hmm. linebacker. Reimer is your true linebacker that you can leave in there that you actually trust, and I actually trust, to play the run as well as he plays the pass. That's a guy who's done really, really well over the past two seasons, being able to, to move his feet out in space match up with a tight end who's a little bit bigger, bigger, taller, maybe even a little stronger than him, and be able to stick with him, play good pass defense, and really play through the hands uh, once that, that ball is coming in and uh, the tight end's going to make a play. He's, he's done really well with that, and I think that loss would be huge just with how Purdue likes to play offense if you don't have a guy like Luke Reimer. I think we saw from the defensive backroom on Saturday that uh, there are some guys that can step up, and I know Rutgers doesn't have a, the same passing attack that Purdue has, but I think you do have some guys that can step up should Quentin Newsom's groin problem continue being an issue and from what I know about groin injuries those do tend to be pretty nagging mm-hmm. throughout the course of a week so I'm not sure I'm expecting that to keep him out um, but it could be something that he could be dealing with through a game and maybe something that that forced him to, to leave a game or maybe they're going to play it safe and keep him out for a week well, we shall see but those are two guys especially Reimer but Newsom as well that uh, are going to have an impact uh, on the game on Saturday if they are not a go they're, they're two guys that I think are, are pretty important on your, on your defense especially uh, when you look at how Purdue likes to play offense now uh, I think you can negate that a little bit if you can get some pass rush going on Saturday. If you can get guys like Garrett Nelson and this new role of Caleb Tanner, which I really liked last Saturday, or excuse me, last Friday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can get a pass rush going, I think it takes a little bit of pressure off guys that may have to step in, like uh, Mauga Clements or a guy like uh, Tom, 
excuse me, not Tommy Hill, uh, Malcolm Hartzoger or whoever's going to be stepping in on that back end. You can take some pressure off with some pass rush, and that's something to watch on Saturday. But uh, that's going to be a, a huge story as we get a little bit closer to, to Friday and into Saturday, whether those two guys, Newsom and, and Luke Reimer, are a go. So you're going to pack your defense, you're going to pack your special teams, and you need to pack your run game for a road win in the Big Ten. What can you get out of your offensive line? Nebraska's just been very anemic with yards per carry now they've not given up on the run game but you are you're going into a a fire right you're just going head first a lot of times into that cluster of humanity uh if you're anthony grant let's hear from mark whipple to get things kicked off and he spent some time talking about this team and and their attitude shift and i think the last several years losing is as you'd expect, has taken a toll on the, the the mental state of a lot of the kids. I mean, it, it zaps your confidence. You don't feel like you're ever going to get out of this tailspin. And when something bad happens, it it has spiraled, and it's and it's bit the Nebraska football team for a lot of years. Very few teams have been able to to pull out of it. You had a lot of years where Bowen Company, they may get housed on national TV by an Ohio State or a Wisconsin, and then the next week they're in a dogfight, but they'll they'll find a way to get out alive, right? You had the the, the 2016 team with Nebraska that started seven and zero. They uh, they they got challenged a little early by an Oregon at an Indiana before that overtime loss against Wisconsin. That was made up of a lot of upperclassmen from Bo's final recruiting class, so the Nate Garys, the Malik Collins of the world. Uh, so, listen, it's not been every year, but more times than not, you lose a game, and then the snowball gets rolling downhill on you, and you end up with 5-7, and 4-8, and 3-9. and nines. It's just how it's gone. 2018, you had a lot of upperclassmen. I'm thinking of... of um, of of uh, Mick Stoltenberg, mm-hmm. uh, Gerald Foster, mm-hmm. and and of course um, Gifford. Those three those three guys were were big time backbone guys. Oh, Tanner Farmer as well. Farmer, yeah, big time Farmer guy on that offensive line. Those guys held together despite a, a, a four and eight season, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they finished better. What's this team made of? Hey, they've bounced back from as much adversity as you can face. Uh, with losing a coach and a coordinator, and they've bought in. But Whipple uh, started off the presser today talking about this team's mentality. The best thing about last week, not going back, was when I walked in at halftime, the look in their eyes on offense, and we played terrible, and I did a bad job coaching all that, and we are bad on third down, was there wasn't, like, woe was me. It was, hey, I said, we're going to take the ball, second half, here's the plays, we're going to go down and score, and the game will be changed right there, and we're going to win the game. And that's it. And, and uh, they all believed in it. And that's a credit to Mickey and to the offensive coaches and all the guys that way. Sometimes you go into like a little bandbox locker room like they had and you can't see anybody. It's like junior high, but they, they kind of get they're closer together and everything else. And so that's when you went on the road, it can it can really help you. And I'm, I'm you know, we're looking forward to playing Purdue. He's got a really, really good football team. Kind of a band of brothers mentality, right? It's uh, nothing's worked. You're down 13 nothing. You should be down 30 to nothing, and you flipped it around. The infamous fourth and one that will never die on Twitter. Why? Why did you not run the football on fourth and one? 
says every offensive coordinator in the state of Nebraska. I'm raising both hands because I was like, why? Why didn't you run? Well, Whipple's the offensive coordinator for a reason, has 40 years of football for a reason. It's like, look, we talked about it. We got a look we liked. Here's his explanation. But for him to address it, it's it's confidence in him. It's confidence in, in what their plan was. It was well scouted. It wasn't, let's take this and throw it against the wall and surprise him by going empty. No. Uh, running the ball was not working. Yards per carry is pretty gross if you look at it the last couple of games for Sir Anthony. And, well, here's Whipple on why fourth and one empty. Four previous fourth downs, we ran it every time. And we missed it on third and two. And, and uh, we've got to be careful with Anthony. And it was the exact same play that Ohio State had. We dropped the ball. So that's, that's why. So those are the reasons. You know. So, you know, we've been pretty good. The last, we missed fourth and two, and we missed fourth and two twice against Oklahoma and ran it. And so that was the thought. It's not gone well. And to Nebraska's credit, there's been quite a few third and shorts for them this year, third and manageable. They've done a, a good job. Nebraska's offense this year has done a good job uh, of staying ahead of the sticks, all right? And their third down conversions have been pretty solid. But the best part of this offense has been their red zone, right? I mean, 15 touchdowns and 18 trips. Now, one for four from a field goal standpoint ain't great, but they've been scoring touchdowns and not being held to three. That'll be huge on Saturday when you go on the road, right? What what do you what do you get out of good field position? What do you get out on on third down? Nebraska wasn't great on third down, but they made a couple of huge third downs. I think of Okalek, I think of Palmer that kept drives alive, right? So uh, Whipple Whipple is has scouted it, right? Well, and I talked about that on the Saturday morning show where I was mentioning the fact that I went back and watched it, and based on tendencies, Nebraska's run the ball so much on third and short and fourth and short this season. Whipple was expecting that Rutgers was going to be expecting a run play there as well. Go, comes out and empty and actually has Marcus Washington in the backfield, shifts him out, but Purdue saw that the personnel Nebraska had, they adjusted accordingly. They had a nickel in to be able to cover Marcus Washington out of the backfield, and uh, they were able to adjust well. So I think that's one of those things where you tip your cap to a, a guy in Greg Shiano who knows defense. Mm-hmm. He, he knows what was coming and saw a personnel package from Nebraska that he goes, well, that doesn't look like a run, running play. I know we were expecting run based on their tendencies, but this looks like a passing play. He trusted what he saw and made a great defensive play. I don't think it's something you want to you stick around on if you're a Nebraska fan, something you want to let stick in your craw. It's just, you know what? For one play, Rutgers, they outsmarted Nebraska. Nebraska tried to get cute, and Rutgers outsmarted them. Well, and listen, it, it's, you're just not going to make a living with this line. They may, they may run block the best. What do they do best? They run block. But still, when push comes to shove, are they good enough if you know they're going to run it? Does it matter? Well, it's not It's not the pipeline. They can't maul you and get six on third and one or fourth and one. Uh, it's just not how they're built, at least at this point in the year. So uh, offensive line, uh, let's hear one more from, from Mark Whipple here on that, that bad week of practice and uh, how they've bounced back. They, they, everybody knows when you don't play well. And, and I didn't even, I knew as a coach, I didn't play, I, I coached crappy. Uh, we had a bad week. We had our worst week of practice. We only had one day in the, to, to work hard and get some things. We weren't very good that day, and I carried over. And the positive was, I talked to them 
Sunday and, and said, we got to have our best week of practice. You guys learned you can't practice like that and expect to play well. All right? And uh, we, we've, we've really flipped it this week. It's been the two best days we've had all year. And, and that's a pop. Now, they had a day off, and I think that helped. They weren't really ready for the short week. So Nebraska is is doing what they need to, and that's honing in, getting better, having a good week. And you practice well. The thing you've seen with Nebraska, they survived last Friday. They were able to practice well and then translate it to Saturday against Indiana. Can you have that that transport be a, a reality uh, this Saturday night at Purdue? Should be a dynamite ball game. We'll check in with Mike Babcock, the, uh, the importance of this ball game. The topic of momentum, something Nebraska's not really had. They do have it, as does Purdue. They've won three in a row after a one-and-two start. Great to be with you on a Wednesday. It's Hale Varsity, and we're presented by Currency. Each year, approximately 5,000 children are diagnosed with brain cancer. Of those children, nearly 30% will not survive, and many of those that do are left with debilitating side effects for life. We're asking you to help by tuning in to the 10th Annual Team Jack Foundation Radiothon presented by the Home Agency on September 29th. Become a champion for a cure for just $20 a month. Visit teamjackfoundation.org to learn more. Thank you for helping us fight for a cure. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Thanks for spending time. Hail Varsity Radio presented by Currency. We bring in Mr. Husker Football, Toxin Purdue, and Nebraska. Mike Babcock with us at MD Babs on Twitter in his football office. Babbers, how are we doing today? I'm doing okay. Uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Hey, it's uh, wonderful. How many uh, leaves are left on your trees with all this wind? <laughs> we still got a few leaves, plus our neighbors' uh, trees like to... Uh, have their leaves blow over into our yard so that we can break them up. Well, well, what's your preferred method here of, of, of leaf cleanup? Are you going... Are Call you going, Elijah Herbal. Are you going rake or are you going lawnmower? I mean, I, I've found in the past couple of years much easier to just run over those things with a lawnmower and then bag them up. It's, it's, it's easier than all that work of raking. That's what we do. Yeah, it's, Pull it's, out the lawnmower, pull out the bag, fill up the bag, dump the bag, go back and... Mow up some more. Hey, throw it in the compost pile. You got beautiful compost in like, you know, 18 months. Look at you. Look at you and your green thumb. We are lucky (laughs) enough to have uh, trees that keep dying in our backyard. We're not going to point any fingers. The wife uh, keeps planting in the wrong spots. So, uh, yeah, we don't really have any leaves. (laughs) We don't have any trees that are uh, uh, big enough yet to to cause too much damage. But, Babbers, you're very kind, and I'm, that's really nice of your neighbors to, to let them fly into your yard, and <laughs> you fire the mower up. <laughs> yeah, we can't figure out a way to prevent that from happening. Uh, we just uh, accept it. You just on. make it happen. Hey, so is this wind going to move, and would it be beneficial if it's this windy in West Lafayette Saturday night? Uh, yeah, if it was blowing in the direction, it was blowing against what, Purdue wanted to do as far as passing the ball. I mean, you think we'll see some passing? Just maybe. Just a touch, just a touch. And we were spending some time to to start the show on Mark Whipple, laying out the the difference you need to see 
uh, in uh, a practice week as you get ready for a game. It wasn't good last week. He laid out why and talked about the the response this week from the from the offense, Mike. And you know, what's your feel Saturday night for Nebraska? What what do they need to do running the football? What's what's going to make it better for this offense uh, in in terms of time of yardage and just being able to be balanced well you know you're going to have to try to establish a run but purdue's been really good against the run um in the in the three uh conference games that purdue has played the opposition has not managed to rush for 100 yards i think uh maryland uh rushed for 43 yards a net of 43 yards uh, compared to Purdue's net of 13 yards rushing. Uh, so Nebraska needs to uh, uh, be able to establish some kind of a running game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, as we talk always, if you can do that, um, then that opens up other things in the passing game. And, and you know, Nebraska has, has an outstanding receiver, and, and we've, we've learned now that uh, Trey Palmer is a real deal. Um, but... Uh, yeah, Nebraska has to be able to run the ball to some degree to take the pressure off the passing game. And, and again, that's against a Purdue defense that's been very good against the run. Can can you get that done to, to open up your run? Can you throw to open the run up? Can you do more dink and dunks to, to Vokalak? Can you check down to, to Grant or Alante? Can you do some of those things, even the, the dare I say it, the swing pass or the bubble? <laughs> but those have been completed this year. I know I mark a bingo card and take a shot. I said swing pass. But you, with with the, the controlled passing game, I mean, in Whip's offense, you, you can do that and keep it at second and six or second and five and then mix in your run game. Uh, or dare I even say as banged up as he is, uh, have the quarterback run element maybe if there's a smothers situation. Yeah, I, th- I think that Nebraska has the potential to do that, but again, um, this is a good this is a good Purdue defense. That's a thing. I mean that that's the thing that uh, stands out to me. In addition to Aiden O'Connell's passing, um, is that uh, Purdue can play can play defense, and you're going to have to you're going to have to get that defense off balance somehow. And if, it, if that's a dink and dunk on the pass to open up some running, uh, uh, so be it. But at some point, you're going to have to be able to run the ball. That's, that, that's what I uh, project if you're going to be successful against Purdue. Now, Mike, Vegas seems to think this game might be closer to a shootout than a defensive struggle. That They have the total set at 58 points, which is somewhere around 35 to, to 21, Purdue getting the win in their estimation based on the line, somewhere around there. And, and I want to pose the question to you. Which side do you err on? Do you think this game is going to be a little more high scoring, or do you see a defensive struggle? And I guess the heart of that question is, do you buy into the, the defensive resurgence that Nebraska has seen in the past couple weeks? Has the defense gotten better, or they've have they just gone up against a, a team in Indiana that was down some playmakers and an offense and Rutgers that couldn't really throw the ball with all that much success with Vedral's injuries and what they had at backup quarterback? Well, you know, one thing that's been impressive to me, Elijah, is that, that Nebraska, and I, didn't, and I didn't see this um, at the beginning of the season with the adjustments that what they made with, with Mickey and Bill Bush, is that Nebraska made adjustments. I mean, I, I think that Nebraska at halftime, the second half, 
the defense that you saw was not the same defense that you saw the first half because I think Bill Bush made some adjustments and he, he was able to deal with that. You know, what, what did what did Rutgers do the second half? Uh, not much because Nebraska made adjustments. And that's the thing that I that I think that uh, uh, has happened with, with Bill Bush. I think he's done a good job of that in both the victories is that Nebraska has made some adjustments. So that's the other thing that I w- would would think of is that um, Nebraska makes some adjustments. Nevertheless, probably going to have some points scored in this game. Um, and that doesn't mean that Nebraska is not playing good defense. That's more a tribute to O'Connell and what he's done. And, and Jones has caught 600 yards worth of passes and and seven touchdowns. So I, I don't think you're going to shut them down completely. I think you're going to have to score some points to win the game. Mike, how do you uh, proceed with, with Reimer and Newsom? You've got a bye week following this. You've got Illinois and a lot of season left. You want your dudes to go. Uh, you want your best linebacker and best corner to go. But at what point is the risk-reward considered with – worsening whatever is ailing them, be it the growing or the foot, uh, to to risk losing them longer than just maybe this ball game. Well, if they aren't cleared and if they don't feel like they're in a position, and, and I know players are going to say, yeah, I can play, let, you know, let me go. But I think you got to be careful with that. You know, you talked about it earlier. Reimer, it, he leads the team in tackles by a bunch. Like he's got 49 tackles. I think the next – Next uh, total is like 34. There's three guys at 34, um, and, and and Newsom is is kind of the leader there in the in the secondary, along with Buford, I guess. Um, and and so you don't want to you don't want to put those guys in a position where they just aggravate something and make it worse because, like you said, you've got an off week and then you go into the uh, what Illinois and then Minnesota and then Michigan and then Wisconsin and Iowa. Um, you got a stretch there where you, you're, you don't have those weeks off um, and you're playing for bowl eligibility and competitiveness in the West Division. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't put them out there if, if they're not 100% and if they don't feel like – if the coaches don't feel like um, they're ready to go, they won't put them out there. Mike, do you have a number in mind for what gets it done in the West? <sighs> Boy. I still think it's a. I still think in my mind it's a scramble in the West, and I think anybody has a chance right now. Um, this is a big game for Nebraska because you win this game. If you can win this game at Purdue, I'm not sure how that's going to go. <laughs> but if you can win the game at Purdue, and then you got the off week, and you've got that momentum now with three wins in a row, um, and and conference games, all of them, um, you you be set up for. Um, Illinois and and, uh, and and Minnesota, and then you've got a really a pretty strong run there at the end. But um, I think the Purdue game, you know, it's one game at a time. We can talk ahead. We can look down the line because we're not playing the games. The players have to pay attention to the game at hand. But um, I think it's a critical game. I think really if Nebraska doesn't win the Purdue game, um, then how does the mindset change and and – um, you really got to work hard during that off week because yeah. you've got to get it done. You know, even to get the six wins for a bowl game, um, it's important. 
Mike, the way I've said it is that if you want a chance in the Big Ten West, I think if you're 7-4 and four at Thanksgiving headed into your final game of the season, I think you got a good shot at the Big Ten West crown, and that means Nebraska has very little room for error. That means one loss between now and Thanksgiving that I think they can afford, and obviously depends who that loss is to. But that, that's my humble opinion is that if you're 7-4 and four as a Nebraska fan going into Iowa, I think a Big Ten West crown will still be at play that final week. I'm not saying you control your own destiny, but I think if you're 7-4, and four, you have a good chance at it. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I think so. I, I think I think you're right about that. Going into that, going into that last game against Iowa, and of course Iowa doesn't have a quarterback, so um, you're <laughs> in pretty there. Um, yeah. Neither yeah. Rutgers. Neither's really Rutgers. Rutgers doesn't have a healthy one either, and that was still tight, baby. Uh, but. Yeah. <laughs> but to, the bottom line is, for, you know, just look at the final score and and. Move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Win, baby. Yeah, thank you. I watched the Al Davis uh, 30 for 30 last night. Uh, Al Davis versus the NFL. Some of that CGI was a little bit weird, but it was a good, it was a good episode. Yeah, that was the uh, the old grin ear to ear. <laughs> Just win, baby. And Nebraska is going to try and do so Friday night. Mike Babcock with us. Mike, about 30 seconds, bud. What's coming up from you with Hale Varsity Magazine, HaleVarsity.com? Well, uh, this is a week where we work on stuff so that can go to the printer on the weekend. And, uh, you know, like I said last week, we got a what if uh, section in there. And we've got a a great story on uh, soccer that uh, Freddie Oldman's wrote. So um, good stuff coming up. And it's going to be a little bit of a scramble for us because football is going on, too. And uh, volleyball plays, I think, not uh, Sunday, I think, the volleyball. So we're going to have to wait for that, too. So, yeah, busy weekend, but that's good. It's all good. You feel good uh, for Nebraska, or do you think it's just a little too much? Uh, I think it's a coin flip in my mind right now. I'm, I, You know, it's like the high school coach used to tell me, uh, wait till the game's over, then you'll know and I'll know. <laughs> you know I always ask him, you know, how do you think this is going to come out? What, you know, how do you feel about your team? Wait till Saturday morning. We'll talk Wait over coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Babcock with us. Follow him on Twitter at MDBabs. Mike, thanks for jumping on with us, bud. Good to spend time. Thanks for having me, guys. There he is. Mike Babcock with us. Mike Shuhart with us. Uh, next, from Wilderness Ridge, it's Hale Varsity, presented by Currency. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Just checking out some of the, the, the West schedules remaining. You look at Purdue, they host Nebraska, then they are at Wisconsin, they host Iowa, they're at Illinois, they finish up with Northwestern and Indiana. We'll detail some of the rest of the West coming up here as the show moves forward. We say hi to Mike Shuhart, Wilderness Ridge Golf. Shuey, a big ball game Saturday night. How are you going to be spending it? I'll be right in front of that TV watching it, glued to it. Can you uh, set? We were talking to Babbers. Do you have any magic powers to send some wind up to West Lafayette? Not. I wish I did. I'd be sending as much as I got up there. So <laughs> probably the biggest ball game they've played. Early look at the early yeah. look at the forecast uh, for for me. I'm looking at that Weatherbug is the app I trust. I'm not sure if anyone uses anything differently. That's what I use. Uh, it gives you those that up to the minute updates and whatnot. I think they have a pretty good forecast, and they're saying 10 miles an hour of wind in West Lafayette at kickoff on Saturday night. Mike, 
how does 10 miles an hour of wind strike you? It's coming from the west. I'm not sure the the arrangement of Purdue Stadium. I'm not sure if it's west to east or north to south, but we do have 10 miles of, of wind expected out of the west on Saturday night. That's not good because they're a passing team. Mm-hmm. And they've lit us up in years past because we make all Americans out of some of their players. So I wish the wind was blowing 40. <laughs> Oh, uh, like it is today. Mike Shewatch with us. Mike, you're right. Biggest game in a long time. You as a longtime coach, what have you been able to glean here the last couple of weeks as to, to why Nebraska's 2-0? Uh, I think simplicity. Uh, I think letting those boys just kind of go play football looks like a little more, you know, not as complicated, just letting them go do their job and find the football. Uh, that's some of it. And, you know, success breeds success. That's just the way it works. Man, the better you play, uh, the better you feel. So it's like a couple of wins under their belt. Got them playing a little more excited. I think a new voice sometimes makes a big difference, even though it's the same stuff, but a new voice, you hear something, uh, same thing you're hearing, but a little different way. You know, guys relate to that better. You know, but success always breeds success. I mean, that's just the way it is because it makes you believe. You know, it's all about believing in what it is you're doing and what you're capable of doing, and you start seeing some of the rewards of that. And you know, people just start playing better because of it. Mike, do you worry about this team putting some pressure on themselves? I mean, the coaching staff has made it clear that, that the Big Ten West crown should not be something that they're uh, avoiding. You know, it, it should be something that they're embracing, the fact that they're in the race for that and that it's exciting that this team gets a chance to do that. But do you worry about the pressure that this team might be facing going into a game like this against Purdue? It could be an elimination game for the Big Ten West. And, I mean, it's different going into a, going into a Saturday golf tournament being tied for the lead as opposed to being four or five strokes back. You have less pressure when you're four or five strokes back on moving day. Exactly. So a little bit, just because it's like, you know, you were, you've won two games, but to start the whole trend of winning those two games, you can't change your attitude of, of what got you to be able to do that. And you start thinking about the possibility of winning and things like that. It's like, no, you got to keep playing the same way that you played the last two games, which is, to me, the opposite, man, you're playing an underdog role. It's like you got nothing to lose. I'm just going to go out there and play, simplify things, just let them play football with really nothing to lose. Then you start putting that different expectation on there. Then, you know, sometimes you start thinking a little bit more than you need to. So, you know, it's like you got to just keep doing what it is that you're doing, playing in a manner that it's like I have nothing to lose when I go out there and play because I really have nothing. And that's very common. That happens. Once you get what you're looking for, then you try to keep it, you know. So you start playing a little different than when you're trying to get it. Once you're kind of there and you have it, then you start playing not to lose instead of to win. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Well, they keep on this path here and keep the wins happening. It it will shift to – as Mickey was talking about hunted versus hunter and uh, you know, how do you, how do you handle the the success of it, but also deal with the pressure of, all right, now you're the favorite versus uh, the house money angle. And should we uh, tell me what you think of, of the job Mickey and and Bush have done and Whipple. I mean, just the staff in general, when it comes to, to being real and direct 
for corrections, but also the encouragement that 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 mesh point of all right, you're not great, but we think you can be really pretty good. The encouragement and then the the reality. Yeah, I mean the second half last week was super encouraging to me. You know, they made some adjustments. They didn't play great the first half, but they made some adjustments, and they went out and played a much cleaner second half, and they reaped the rewards of that. You know, they were able to finally get a win instead of losing a game like that. You know, so I, I, I just really believe, you know, listening to Mickey and how he talks in the press conferences and things like that, I mean, the players are buying into that better. They're relating to that better. They're playing that way more so on the field. Um, which is super encouraging, you know, because it's, I mean, I like listening to him because I like, he, he, like what he says because he is real. When he holds you accountable, he's still going to hold you accountable to a high standard, you know, but he's going to coach you up. He's going to teach you a little bit on the way. It's like I always say, I said, things will get better, but you have to do things to make them better. They're, they're going to stay the same if you keep doing it the same way. So it's like, but this is what you have to do to make it better. You know, he's going to hold you accountable to do those things. And I think the players have bought into that, and they, they are trying to do it the right way or the way they're supposed to. Mike Schuart's with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And, Mike, I can't contest that, that Mickey's done a phenomenal job since he's taken over, and I, I think for a lot of Husker fans, he's the leader in the clubhouse to be Nebraska's next full-time head coach. And I want to pose that same question to you. Who right now is Shuey's leader in the clubhouse to be Nebraska's head coach? Is it Mickey Joseph? Or, I mean, a lot of steam this week with a guy like Matt Rule who just got fired from the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been super impressed with Mickey, you know, from his first press conference to all of his other press conferences and watching how they play. I mean, he's, sh- he's showing that the players are responding to what message he's sending out there. Um, so, you know, he, he's obviously a great recruiter. So he checks a lot of the boxes. You know, the only box he doesn't check is a couple, head coaching experience and coaching in the Big Ten. I mean, those are those are – Two pretty huge boxes, though, you know, especially coaching in the Big Ten. I mean, it's a different animal, you know, which guys come in, they find out pretty quickly that it's like it's a different brand of football. And those coaches in the Big Ten, man, they are, they are the best coaches in college football. So you better know what you're doing when you, when you go up against these guys because they definitely know what they're doing and they know what it takes to win in the Big Ten. Chewy, about 30 seconds here, a little less. What's happening at Wilderness, bud? Oh, it's fall golf time, man. Fall golf is the best time of the year. So a lot of stuff going on. They're putting in the the exercise equipment today in our new workout uh, center. So that's exciting. So, you know, each month that goes by, we get other things starting to open up. So it's super exciting to see. Go check out Shuey just raging on the the old bench press. Is <laughs> what, what we can think about. <laughs> one chance. 110 pounds I can push up there. Shuey, you'll do it with that right arm, baby. I love it. Mike Shuhart, <laughs> Wilderness Ridge Golf. Get a membership today. Log on wildernessridge.com. Shuey, we'll talk next week, buddy. Thank you for the time. All right. Thank you. Stay safe. There he is. Mike Shuhart will wind down this first hour with Hale Varsity, presented by Currency. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. What final time this hour? 
Evan Bland, Omaha World Herald, coming up here on Hale Varsity. We're presented by Currency for all your equipment financing needs. Go Currency. Do you want to go see Nebraska football, about Husker volleyball, maybe a concert coming to town, or theater seats, Creighton basketball, uh, they are going to be dynamite this year. Red Zone Tickets is where you go. Selling funds since 2001. Do you have tickets you want to buy? Do you have some seats you need to sell? RedZoneTickets.com. They are local. They're great folks out of Omaha. And they have an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating. Local source, and that means a guarantee for you. 100% guarantee on all orders. You'll receive authentic tickets and experiences. You'll never forget. Uh, So it's time to check off that item on your bucket list. Create memories that last a lifetime. Log on today. Visit your friends at Red Zone Tickets. RedZoneTickets.com. Selling fun since 2001. There's a ton of Iowa fans that are just refusing to go to Hawkeye football because of how putrid the offense has been. You've got a world-class defense, but a, but a quarterback situation and an offensive line and an offense in general that is just hard to take. You've seen it before as a Nebraska fan in 2009. Right, you've seen it uh, different times, and and I was living it with an incredible defense. Who's with us? Got Tad in line. All right, let's uh, sneak Tad in here before the uh, the hour expires. Tad, thanks. Tad, you're uh, on with us here on Hale Varsity. Go ahead, bud. Hey, how you guys doing? Good. Great what, show. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you guys a ton. So I just want to reiterate what we have in Mickey Joseph. And like I was saying earlier, why don't we just go out and get some stud assistant coaches and great recruiters? Because then we'd be just packed with all the great recruiters. And, again, I'm going to say it again. I don't know if you guys are getting my taxes, but we have to learn how to run the football. Once we learn how to run the football, we know we can pass. Tad, what, 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 what are you texting to, bud? We get email. We don't have a text line. I don't know. I texted to this number, so it goes through, but I guess it's not going to you guys. No. Uh, yeah, that's the phone line you're texting to. God love you for, for texting. We'd read them <laughs> if, if we could get them. We're working on a burner, though. We're working on getting a burner so we can get a text line implemented. No, Mickey's making a great case. He's a good coach. Bush is a good coach. You've got guys on staff that can do the job, and to your point, these guys are really good proven recruiters at, at big-time levels. So, listen, it's all in front of them to, uh, to do their thing. Okay, that's perfect. That's all I'm hoping for and praying for. All right, Ted, enjoy. I'm telling you, we got to learn to run that football again. And no. we got the pieces, but we just got to get those offensive linemen moving forward, not backwards. No, totally get with you, Tad. Appreciate that. Thanks for listening, and, and give us a shout. Appreciate you calling. We'll work on the text line situation. Got to get our old boy Rick called. <laughs> get a text line and make it a reality. If you're on hold, stay there. We'll get to your phone calls uh, coming up. But, yeah, running the football in the the frustrating part, not only for Whip and for Riola and this offensive line, is uh, the reality of guys that they have on the line, what's behind what they have on the line, and, where they're at in their development or talent level, right? It's one or the other. I think there's talent there, but they 
they they aren't doing it yet. Maybe Saturday's different. Like what you hear? High-quality radio and podcast is part of what we do at Hale Varsity. Hey, it's Chris Schmidt with Hale Varsity Radio, and I wanted to offer listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we do, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe and enter in the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hail Varsity. That's HailVarsity.com backslash subscribe promo code GBR. Welcome to Hail Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hail Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Back into it, it's Hour 2, it's Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency. For all your equipment financing needs, go Currency. We go to Omaha and say hi to Evan Bland with the Omaha World Herald. Evan, uh, man, it's kind of been a blur. You, you get back from the East Coast and all of a sudden it's it's roadie time to, uh, to West Lafayette. Uh, I have not been. I'm sure you've traveled that direction, I, I would assume. Is there a, a must-hit diner or wing spot or something like that in West Lafayette, or is it just all business, brother? Well, you know, it's one of those towns where it's hard to get a room in the town because mm-hmm. it's not all that big. So we typically have stayed in like Peoria or sometimes Iowa City, depending mm-hmm. on kind of when, when kickoff is. So oftentimes we are sort of in and out. One of the quirks of Purdue, though, is that as, as media, they have us park at this nearby golf course, and it's far enough away, at least they feel like it's far enough away, that they have uh, golf carts that shuttle us from the, the, the media lot to the stadium and then back again at night. So, like, with a 6.30 kickoff, we're going to be riding a golf cart at, like, midnight uh, on, on Saturday night, which will be, uh, you know, sort of an adventure. Um, but, yeah, you know, it, it's a it's a fine enough stadium, kind of open-ended on one side, and they have Nebraska players and, and coaches talk uh, kind of out in the open, which is a little unusual. So, like, fans can can sort of watch the press conference from afar as it happens. Um, but, yeah, it's it's – it's uh, sort of an interesting place. It feels like the the sod or the the field is always, uh, you know, sort of, I don't know, not in great condition. So we'll see how that goes this weekend. But it definitely has its quirks. No, I'll, I'll tell you what. A better idea than, than golf carts to ferry between the stadium and the media lot is electric scooters, Smitty. Ah, right. <laughs> we uh, we got to borrow an electric scooter, and it looked like Dumb and Dumber, except I'm five foot two and Elijah's six seven, so it was a little awkward. <laughs> so we're riding across uh, Oklahoma's we're, campus, we're riding, riding across Norman, busting to the finish line to get there for the post, you know, to start our post game radio show in an RV lot. Uh, but it wasn't quite golf cart, but we we could have used a golf cart that day. But Elijah 
put his goggles on and, and navigated us safely. It was like the, that scene in Titanic where they're hanging over the front of the ship. That's, Never that's seen what it. it like. mm. Never seen it. Okay, so to football we go. But thanks for painting that that West Lafayette picture. I knew it was a little different. Uh, you know, Nebraska. The topic of momentum is what we focused on today. And Evan, I don't get that that momentum is is going to be fleeting with this team. What I mean by that is they've won two in a row. They're feeling good. They're bought in. Even if it doesn't go their way uh, on Saturday, they're underdogged. I think this team can get coached up enough to, to maybe get hot again or, or be in a lot of the ball games, right? Uh, Michigan's its, its own discussion point just from a talent standpoint. But do you feel that way with just – how this staff has rallied and how this locker room has rallied for one another? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you know, we talk, We heard this week from a handful of guys who've been in the program for, you know, three or four years. And when you start thinking about the momentum or lack thereof that they've experienced, I mean, this moment is about – as high as this group has been, if you've been around, right? Like you go back to 2018 when they beat Illinois and, and Michigan State in consecutive weeks, but otherwise, you know, they, winning streaks of any kind have been rare. Um, and so you, you beat Indiana, you beat Rutgers the way that you did, pitching shutouts in the second half both times, sort of rallying, um, showing that you can do something that you haven't done. I think that's important and so it'll be interesting because you know i asked mickey joseph about momentum on on tuesday and he he kind of said you know it's, it's sort of an illusion in the sense that you can have a lot of momentum and still get your butt kicked the next week if you don't play well and so there's sort of that sense that you still have to go out and earn it and that sort of thing and, and i will say too that it's it seems just from hearing some of the coaches and players talk that their minds are in the right spot you know, I think about uh, the black shirts topic and about how, okay, the, the defense doesn't have the black shirts. Are they going to get them back? Does it matter to them? And sort of the response from players and coaches has been like, we're not even talking about that. Like right now we're, we're talking about how do you defend Purdue's schemes? How do you get lined up? How do you, you know, get ready to, to perform at your best on Saturday night? So it does feel like sort of the extra, you know, uncontrollable stuff is not, on their minds, but it's about, you know, going back to the basics and playing strong fundamental football, at least on uh, certainly on the defensive side where they've shown uh, that they can do that and take some strides forward. But I think the bottom line is, um, you know, again, this team won a one possession tight game against a peer for the first time in a number of years last week. And, And I think there's just a lot of value in that. And so now what's interesting is how does that, translate when the opponent gets a little tougher, right? Like you think about who Nebraska's played in the Big Ten. Uh, they played the three worst teams in the conference, and Purdue's probably somewhere in the upper half of the, in, in that discussion. So, um, you know, how much is momentum worth? I think that's going to be a really interesting sort of uh, case study when we see how Nebraska and Purdue tangle under the lights on Saturday. Yeah, and, and the momentum's big in this matchup here, Evan, and we'll see how big a factor that plays. But what do you make of an extra day of rest? Mark Whipple brought up last week that, that it was tough going to Rutgers, having one fewer day of preparation, and uh, they only had really one full pads day to, to go get some things worked out before they went to Rutgers. But now you get an extra day, uh, at least an extra day of rest over the weekend and uh, this chance to prepare for Purdue. How big a factor do you think that is going to play in this football game, or, or do you think it will? Yeah, I mean, it can't hurt, and, and you've got the bye after that as well. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's sort of 
there's two sides to it. Certainly the physical side obviously helps, especially when you're talking about, you know, Luke Reimer, who was banged up on Saturday, uh, giving him an extra day to come back and, and be that guy uh, that he's been in the heart of the defense. Casey Thompson, who obviously took a ton of hits, him being able to get off his feet on Saturday and watch a bunch of college football, you know, that's that's a positive too. And I think from a sort of a schematic side, there's some value too, especially on offense where, you know, I think you have to have that discussion and, and Mark Whipple mentioned it and Mickey Joseph mentioned it this week where when your offensive line is struggling the way that it is, you need to be a little bit more creative in how you get them help, whether that's, you know, keeping your tight end to block or your running back to block for protection or, um, you know, quick screens, whatever it might be to get the ball out of the hands of your quarterback and out of harm's way. Just because, you know, we're halfway through this thing, and, and if Casey Thompson t- continues to take hits the way he has, you know, tough or not, it's going to be hard to hold up uh, through the rest of this Big Ten season. So I think that's, you know, another thing maybe that can help this staff is, is to figure out, okay, who are your best five, first of all, on that line? And then how do you, how do you line them up? How do you call plays in a way um, that plays to your strengths and doesn't, you know, uh, play to the opponent's strengths on the other side maybe and, and keep your guys healthy along the way. So I think, uh, you know, in all that regard, it's going to help. And then, of course, again, you have the bye week to really heal up for the stretch run. Um, you know, you have a guy like – I think of a guy like Tommy Hill who's making that transition from corner to receiver. You know, we'll probably see more of him out of the break too. So, um, yeah, this is this is a stretch for Nebraska to sort of figure itself out a little bit more with the staff that's still in transition and get healed up for, you know, what it hopes is uh, meaningful football into November. Evan Bland with us here, Hale Varsity Radio. Read Evan with the Omaha World Herald at Evan Bland, O-W-H. I think of, of Max Protect, right? And like the signature, let's just go Mad Bomber play was that, that Gator Bowl with Quincy Inunua, right? Where Tommy threw up that, that play on the sideline. You beat double coverage and bang, it's a 99-yarder. Everyone's feeling great. Uh, you got a guy in, in Palmer that can get by a lot of corners, right? You saw the, the kill shot against Rutgers. Do you anticipate? I anticipate Nebraska, you know, trying to take the top off with Palmer, and, and some more checkdowns to, to Grant, just to keep the sticks moving. But from a from a, a tweak on the O line, you saw it a year ago, Evan. You saw Nebraska with Teddy using him as an extra tight end. We saw it for the first time at Oklahoma, right? Do you anticipate Nebraska maybe using a guy like Banks as a third option if they want to? do more for for Casey protection-wise and, and go max protect with, with a third offensive tackle and, and trading out a tight end? Uh, yeah, I mean, you could do that. I, I think Vokalek, is, if he's healthy, he's perfectly capable. He's, he's I mean, good, if, right, yes. I mean, if you think about it, I think it was last year. I mean, they, they seriously entertained the idea of making him a, of a lineman just because of how well he was a blocker, uh, you know, when he was the number two to Austin Allen. So I think you can probably have the best of both worlds by keeping Vokalek in there and, and keeping that uh, that deception in your play calling. Um but, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do in, in terms of those other five because it's generally stayed the same unless injuries have forced their hand with Teddy Prohaska getting hurt. Kevin Williams came in and started a game at left guard, and then he got hurt with a high ankle sprain. And so you've had, uh, you know, Piper in there the last couple of weeks. So, you know, do you – 
you could you could uh, give more run to Hunter Anthony over at right tackle. Um, you know, you could you could move Ben Hart around. You could move Corcoran around a little bit. Really, I mean, all those guys have been so cross trained outside of center where Trent Hickson has done a pretty good job and looks like he's pretty well entrenched in his role, but everybody else, uh, you know, has worked some at tackle or some at, on the interior. So, I, you know, there, there are options there if you want to sort of, you know, reshuffle the deck a little bit. Uh, you mentioned Brant Banks is somebody who we haven't seen a ton of uh, who, who could come in as well. Henry Latovsky has looked good at times. You know, do you give him a little bit of a longer look even as a younger guy? So, you know, they, they have options there. I don't know that they're blown away by, like, the running back pass protection. That's been – that was something in the past that sort of, uh, you know, bothered this team or, or plagued them a little bit with some of that inconsistency. Um, so, you know, there are things they can do. This isn't – you know, Mickey Joseph mentioned how, uh, you know, in 2019 LSU moved their, their linemen around. They had eight different starters at different points, which sort of pointed to this idea that there was no set lineup – but, you know, that that line also was the best in college football that year, and, and seven of those guys are in the NFL right now. So you're a little bit limited if you're Nebraska in terms of what you can do. So, yeah, I, I think it comes down to what combination do you like and then how can you tweak your play calling to where you're not asking Casey Thompson to drop back in a three- or five-step drop, you know, 40 times a game because, again, it's probably not sustainable either in the upcoming game or certainly in the back half of the season. Evan Bland is with us here from the Omaha World Herald. And Evan, that offense line's got a tough task, and we'll see what types of adjustments the coaching staff makes. But they're going up against a, a defensive front for Purdue, which is probably the strength of their defense, and we'll see how they respond. But on the other side of the ball, I mean, last week the, the defense did enough to give the offense a chance to win that game late. What does the defense have to do on Saturday night to give the offense a chance to win? I mean, this could be scoring total. This could be turnovers. Which, What do you think that they have to get done on the field on Saturday night for this offense to have a chance to, to go win this game late? Well, I think, first of all, it's worth noting that Purdue is a little bit different from the Purdue we've seen the last two years. I mean, they're still – pass heavy but their run game uh you know which was last in the league the last handful of seasons is a little bit more respectable so you have to respect the run i think um and pay attention to that more than you have uh but certainly the the threat's going to be through the air and and it's a really interesting matchup because you've got a guy like aiden o'connell who's a veteran you've got a guy like um you know charlie jones who's been off to a really good start and and on the other side you've got a secondary in Nebraska, that's really sort of been in flux. I mean, uh, Malcolm Hartzog's still a true freshman. Tommy Hill, who we mentioned, uh, isn't even playing on that side of the ball as much anymore. You've got Brandon Moore, Quentin Newsom. So those guys are going to be challenged uh, more than they were against Rutgers. Now, let's just be honest. I mean, the Purdue offense is going to be better in that regard. But I, when I look at what they'll do, I think it'll be similar to what we saw uh, against Indiana and Rutgers, which is a secondary that's going to be uh, more aggressive. They're not going to play off the ball as much as we saw early in the season where teams can throw little five and ten yard outs and, and have the cushion to do that. I think you're going to see you know, some more aggressiveness there. And, and sometimes I think Nebraska is going to be okay, uh, acknowledging that sometimes you're going to get beat on that. Um, but if you can sort of, uh, as a trade-off to that, get a couple of takeaways, maybe two picks, force a fumble to set up a short field for your offense on the other side, I think Nebraska would take that too. So I would expect them again to, to focus on what they have 
done the last two weeks that have made them success, successful, which is, again, focus on the, the fundamentals, be more aggressive, and if you can get a couple of takeaways that help bail out uh, this offense, which is still very much a work in progress, then that probably is the recipe to give you a chance on Saturday. A few more minutes. Evan Bland will continue next segment. Uh, Omaha World Herald, Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency. Some final thoughts from Evan uh, before he heads out for West Lafayette. Bill Bush will have some comments as well from his post-practice practice session. As I spit that out. Reminder to buckle up. Use your seatbelt. It saves lives and prevents injuries only if properly worn. Uh, make sure you buckle up. A message from the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. Some responses on Twitter uh, from Tad's phone call to get into briefly. Uh, one, Stephen says the Huskers need linemen that can move their feet and have agility. I think Nebraska has some guys that are athletic. Uh, when I look at the tackles, right, I look at a guy like Turner Corcoran. He's, he's agile, right? I mean, he, he can move. Uh, they just got to refine. Well, they they changed his body this offseason to make him a guard. Yeah. He's lost a little bit of that, that agility we saw. But if you're talking about a guy who's big and hulking and can drive, block, and run, and, oh, guess what? He's agile and he's got good feet, too. Well, you're talking about an NFL guy. Mm-hmm. So it's easier said than done to say, oh, well, let's get some offense linemen that can get a push and are also agile, too. Right. I'm, I'm saying the kids have been rated high as recruits. You got to turn them into something. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Evan Bland with us here, Hale Varsity Radio. Read Evan with the Omaha World Herald at Evan Bland O W H. Evan, before we say goodbye, what do you get your reaction, your take here? There's been a, a lot of names out there. If you're Trev Alberts from the National Search standpoint, and more and more national folks have chimed in on Matt Rule. What does Rule do for Evan Bland? Hmm. Well, first of all, isn't it interesting that, like, with the, the, the wins that Nebraska's had the last couple of weeks, the coaching search discussion sort of takes on a little bit of a different flavor, right? Yes, like, yes. It, it, it's been really interesting to follow that. Um, but with that said, I mean, yeah, Matt Rule, uh, I, I think he'd be a very viable candidate for Nebraska and for a lot of – openings when you look at what he did uh, at Temple and at Baylor, um, turning those two programs around when they didn't have a lot of success to that point. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of good stories out there about how he was a guy at the college level who was sort of ahead of the curve on really focusing on, on speed, verified track speed specifically, and sort of acknowledging that if you can't get these ready-made five-star types, you can at least get some some players who are their peers in terms of speed, and then you can develop those guys uh, into impact players. And he was able to do that. He and his staff were at those previous stops. Um, you know, you look at what he did at Carolina and getting fired this month. Like, I don't put a ton of stock into that when it comes to the college game. I mean, you think about, uh, you know, a lot of great college football coaches that didn't cut it in the NFL, whether that's Nick Saban or Urban Meyer or Steve Spurrier. I mean, even Pete Carroll, I guess, who, who ended up being a pretty good pro coach. But, um, you know, I, I, it's just a different challenge. Like, you're not, uh, you know, you're not working with a draft. In the NFL, you're able to recruit your guys and recruit to a vision. And so um, I absolutely think with, with his resume of building up those programs, the way that he's gone about it, um, someone with a focus on development, uh, I think those would be very positive things. The only um, – 
you know, pause that I might have is that there's not, it doesn't appear to be like he has a ton of ties in the Midwest. He's more of an East coast guy, which, you know, you can, you can get a lot of talent from that area, but I still think whoever Nebraska ends up with, uh, you got to have on staff a number of guys who are familiar uh, with, with areas in the 500 mile radius, whether that's Colorado or Kansas city or whatever else. But um, certainly there's no doubt about it with, with Matt rule getting fired when he did, as opposed to say at the end of the NFL season, that very much makes him a candidate for Nebraska and I think any other major college opening that may come along. Your gut says what Saturday don't need a score, but does Nebraska keep it rolling? I think Purdue wins the game, but I think it's a close game. Um, yeah, I, I just think the momentum is going to be worth something. But with the way that Purdue's going along, I think it says more about Purdue than it does Nebraska. When you look at some of the, the players they have that are going to be future NFL players, uh, it's a really veteran team, a lot of juniors, a lot of fifth-year seniors in that group. Uh, I think ultimately that experience edge and that continuity may make a difference for Purdue. Evan, safe travels. Enjoy the golf cart, bud. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Good to hear from Evan Bland. Good uh, perspective there. Got open phones here till about 540 at 466-3776-800-825-5865. Some emails and tweets to get to as well at Schmidt underscore radio at Herbal Essence for Elijah Herbal. Matt weighs in the uh, Elijah Beard Watch 2022-2023 is now underway but a lot's been talked about with the offensive line to your point nebraska was going to put turner at guard and uh right now you've got the option uh with teddy out uh you have brand banks you've had to reconfigure and, and you've got turner back out at left tackle uh the hunter anthony pickup looks great right now because at least at worst you'll be able you're able to rotate if ben hart's not getting the job done but What's what's the future look like, right? I mean, are you going to, whoever is coaching or say it's Mickey, are you going to have to go JUCO and then Hammer High School and then figure out a way to shore up that window of development? Because you can't play young and expect different results. Yeah, and to quickly get back to the beard watch, I did not shave today, but I will be shaving before this week. And I'm not, I'm not you sure. You got a date or what? What? Well, why, 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 just let it go, man. Well, well the thing go is, full caveman. I, I have here. tried going full caveman before. It was during the COVID years, whenever you know you could cover it with a mask, and it just—it's not a great look. Maybe I'll bring it back, but I'm—I'm I'm confident with the mustache look that will be back. That's probably a 2023 uh, mustache watch for for you guys. So uh, check that one out. But back to the offensive line. It's—I mean, it's a point we've made a, a lot before. Is the offensive line's like a brisket? can't microwave it you, you can't make it develop faster than than humanly possible if that makes sense so you can have the guys but you also have to have the development because it's such a, a different beast going from high school to college uh, just the, the types of athletes you're going to be going up against on the other side of the ball like you might have one matchup against a guy in your high school career who's a future d1 guy and even then the development that's made on the defensive line going off to college football is just it's leaps and bounds so it comes down to, to guys being able to get experience. And the thing is, is if you're putting up atrocious performances when you are getting experience, that's not helping you develop. I mean, it's, it's confidence issues. Yeah, it, it's only going to stunt your development more than anything. So what is the solution? I don't know. But all I know is it's not a quick fix for this offensive line. It's not something that's going to be fixed this offseason. Or sorry, this season. It's probably not something that's going to be fixed this offseason. It's going to take a little bit, like years and years of, of continuity and development from these guys. Well, and Searles nailed it last week. The more you flip-flop positions, the more that stunts your development. And 
we'll talk to Searles more about it uh, as far as having that process in place where you've got guys that get developed. They can play for a couple of years. There are backups uh, to those guys that eventually get in and get some reps where they don't have to be the guy. They get comfortable. Then it's their turn, their time. And meanwhile, you got guys below them that can at least be in the program for a couple of years. Best case scenario, think of Clemson football. Think of Ohio State football. Think of Alabama. Right? Michigan's had dudes in, the, in, in their, their build here. When they wanted to throw Harbaugh out after year five, they haven't lost many kids to the portal. They've built exquisitely on both lines of scrimmage, and you've seen the payoff. This year, you saw it last year, and they're good because they've had kids stay and get better. Clemson started a boatload of redshirt freshman offensive linemen last year after losing coordinators, and their air quote down year was 10-3, and but they were a mess last year. Right, You lost a ton of guys from the COVID season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even the best of the best can, can fall off real quick if you're playing too many young offensive linemen. I don't know that Nebraska's line is considered young because guys have been in the program, but I just don't know that they've had time to, to smoke, well, so to speak, to your point, because they've been asked to play, play early, and they never really got – good at, at, at any of it because it's been a constant mess at 3-9, and 4-8. And, and, and think about the difference it makes if, say, you're a, a struggling left tackle and your left guard right next to you, you know you can rely, on, rely upon. Because he's a senior and he's good. He's a senior. He's been there for years and you know, play in, play out. You know what? If I make a mistake, my left guard's going to make up for me. Like We're, we're going to be having conversations pre-snap where we're going to be clear on what's going on and, and he's going to know, you know what? I have some deficiencies out here and he's going to pick up some slack and, and help me out there. And guess what? When you get to the film room on Sunday morning, that offensive lineman that is fifth-year, senior, experienced, he's going to be able to have tips from his left guard and say, hey, or, or as a left tackle and say, hey, you know what? You're not doing this very well. I can pick up some slack for you here. Your hand placement ain't great. It's a different voice than hearing it from your offensive line coach and be able to have that leadership in the room. And I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not in the room, obviously, but it doesn't seem to me, based on how this team is playing, that there is that sort of leadership on the sideline, in the film room, even pre-snap, to, to, to know that you can rely upon the guy next to you. you got to be able to just get really good at your technique. And that's hard to do, uh, trial by fire. So let's let's do uh, let's Pete. Pete's been hanging on. Pete, welcome in. Thanks for your patience. How you doing? We're good, Pete. Thanks for the phone call. Well, I'm going to say what I would probably try if I was a uh, coordinator. <laughs> okay. And uh, on, on defense, I think I would take a linebacker, and I'd put him right on the line of scrimmage, stand him up, and different downs, I'd move him to different gaps. I would put pressure on their linemen to block. And then I would run some uh, bump and run. And I would kind of depend upon somebody getting to that quarterback so he didn't have too much time. And my nickel then would come down and and cover in the linebacker position. Uh, On offense, I I really think the no-back set is really hurting us. Uh, Our right tackles, they just – they ain't got the athleticism to move their feet to block uh, quite well enough. So I try a two-back set. Uh, I know they don't have a fullback, but they've got tight ends that can that can go back there and kind of play that position. And I would tell my quarterback, you have to run when the field is open at all to get a first down. And if none of that works, I'd bring in Logan Smothers and I'd kind of go to a running attack and see if the guys can block straight forward and, and uh, see if I could open up the offense a little bit that way. 
Pete, we will appreciate you. We will send we will we will send the tape. Uh, Whipple, you know, Whipple, I, I don't want to make it sound and Pete's got good points, right? Put pressure on the opposing offense. You saw a little bit more of that with Caleb Tanner. And, and they were playing him like the Dallas Cowboys play Micah Parsons. I really like that fine role. with me. <laughs> but putting another linebacker on the line of scrimmage strikes me as a game plan for a team like Wisconsin, not a team like Purdue, mm-hmm. uh, where then you're, you're really putting some pressure on Wisconsin saying, hey, Graham Mertz, we got single coverage, beat us. That, that's, that's the game plan that I, I think they'll probably pull out for a team like that or a team like Iowa. Maybe not Purdue, but offensively, he, he brings, brings a good point. I mean, what's stopping you from, even in shotgun, having – Two backs. Having Jack was yeah on one side, Anthony Grant on one they, side. They've had that before, but not often. They've had two backs before, but not not often. But try and try and get downhill. Let's squeeze Chris in real quick. Chris, thanks for calling. Go ahead, bud. Hey guys. Yeah, I just once again that that old Baylor coach uh, that just got fired from Carolina, zero and thirteen against top twenty five. He can't cut it against the big boys. That's and that's a hard no. Barely over five hundred as a college coach, zero and thirteen. Uh, against top 25 teams, no. There's always a flavor of the month coach, and oftentimes they even get flavored up into the pros, and they get filtered back down. Yeah, I 0-13. No, that's, that's listen, beyond if, if I, I think, he, listen, Nebraska cannot be too good for options right now, and 0-13 is not a great number. But being ranked at the end of the year is pretty good. And what is good is having two different teams that you've led within two seasons to 11-1 and one from the, the basement of their conference. And the other part of this, too, is, is what Baylor's done post-rule. And, you know, Matt Aranda, Dave they were, Aranda. Dave Aranda, and I screwed that up. Dave Aranda's really good. But last year's guys were all senior dudes from Rule's second recruiting class. So he... That team that yeah, won with a new head coach, you can you can not be in on rule, and there's a lot of folks that aren't. But to to, to think he can't come to Lincoln and do a good job, I think is is not accurate. I mean, you know, he's got four or five losses automatically because he can't beat top twenty five teams. Never has. It's silly to assume he's going to start doing it here. Well, I disagree. Sure. Disagree. <laughs> Just, you can't be picky. Pardon the interruption, but I'd like to save you some money. I'm Brandon Vogel, Managing Editor of Hale Varsity, and I wanted to offer listeners of this podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we produce, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all of the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe and enter the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hale Varsity. That's HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe, promo code GBR. He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hale Varsity Radio. I got the body of a taut, preteen Swedish boy. Back with you, it's Hale Varsity Radio, a Jock Doc Wednesday, Nebraska Orthopedic Center. Dr. Brandon Seifert is with us. Dr. Brandon, how are we doing? 
Hey, I'm great, Chris. How are you guys doing? We're good. Uh, some meaningful football. A lot of good ball games this weekend. Nebraska's at Purdue, and excited to see how things are shaking. The college football world descended on Lawrence, Kansas last Saturday, and tough ball game for the old Jayhawkers, but a good ball game against TCU, and uh, one of the, the favorites this season, a really awesome ball player to watch, Jalen Daniels, got dinged. And uh, some discussion here is when and if he'll be back with a shoulder issue. Dr. Brandon, let's talk about uh, a shoulder separation, specifically a grade three. Now, Jalen Daniels disputes that he's out for the year. You have a, a freelance reporter that, that went through this and put it out there. So somewhere in the middle, there's there's an injury. Uh, the timelines, the, the question mark, but we know what happened. He got hit and he landed on his shoulder going out of bounds. Yeah, absolutely. And so going into kind of some depth on these uh, AC joint injuries, what we like to call them, shoulder separations, uh, another term, uh, it's called an acromioclavicular joint sprain. Essentially what this is, thinking about this anatomically, is you feel up along where your collarbone is, kind of follow that collarbone out towards your shoulder. There's another bone that joins up with called your acromion. So clavicle, chromium, so chromioclavicular joint is basically what we're dealing with. And what happens there is there's some really thick ligaments that uh, basically hold those two uh, bones together uh, that are kind of centered right at the um, connection point, but there's also two stronger ligaments that go down from the clavicle down onto another bone in the front of the shoulder called the coracoid. So you kind of have these three different areas of attachments um, that are really super strong ligaments, so obviously it takes a significant force to, to rupture those and stretch those. So in this scenario, just kind of based on you know, the reports that we're hearing, um, they basically labeled this as a grade three sprain, at least that's a report that's out there. It's, it's hard to say that's really accurate or not. But when we look at these, these AC joint sprains or shoulder separations, we do grade them kind of one all the way up to grade six. Most common ones we tend to see are grade one through grade three. And essentially what that looks at is when you do, you know, rupture or stretch these ligaments out, that clavicle can start to migrate upwards. And as that happens, um, we basically start to grade this from a perspective of if it doesn't move, it's at the same level with respect to the acromion, then essentially it's a grade one. If that clavicle moves up a little bit, about maybe 50% above where it's supposed to be, that's a grade two. If you get into a grade three, now you're talking that clavicle is displaced by about 100%. Um, and that sounds like that's kind of where he's at. Each of those levels is important. We can use those levels to kind of determine how quickly can somebody get back. Uh, but they're not, you know, all that effective. It really kind of boils down to what are you going to utilize this person for, what's the position, and really kind of have you regained full strength, full motion, um, and do you feel like you have confidence enough to protect yourself? Those are kind of those big factors that are there in terms of when do you return these folks back to playing. Now, is a grade three something that's going to require surgery? Whenever you say a 100% displacement of the clavicle, that, that sends my uh, warning bells off. And we, we talked last week about Bryce Young, a grade one shoulder separation. Sounds like he's trending towards playing this weekend against Tennessee. He did not require surgery. Is grade three something where you'd be recommending surgery and is going to keep you out for a, a prolonged period of time because of that surgery? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And so this has been kind of a big debate in the orthopedic sports medicine world for quite some time is, well, how do you handle your type threes? Uh, I would say still the majority of, of, of physicians will lean towards non-operative treatment of these, um, at least give them a trial run of non-operative care with the rehab program, see if they can get back and do the things they need to do. And honestly, most of these folks can get back with non-operative treatment. Um, there is uh, some newer data to, data to suggest that to fixing these um, maybe provides a little better long-term outcome for them, but that data is still pretty mixed. Um, and so you look at kind of across the spectrum here of examples of players who have had these. You know, there's a lot of NFL quarterbacks and college-level quarterbacks who have had grade threes that treated non-operatively, came back, and still could throw very well. Um, and so I, I would more lean towards a you know, non-operative approach in this scenario. Um, and really, it's, you're going to figure that out kind of over the next one or two weeks, how that athlete is, how that athlete is feeling as they progress through their therapy program. Now, Dr. Brandon, do you think that that, that surgery debate could be where this, this dispute is coming from, whether or not uh, Daniels is going to be returning this season, whether or not he has surgery? Do you think that that's part of, of why this is disputed, how long he's going to be out for? Yeah, that's a good question. It sure could be, you know, especially if he has sought out a second opinion, um, which, you know, at that level, very common for, for uh, athletes to do that. Um, and so that may be where that's playing into. The other thing, too, is it is a bit unpredictable knowing when you're going to get these uh, players back after these kind of injuries. Of course, it's, you know, kind of position-dependent as well, um, especially if you're talking a quarterback, throwing shoulder, how long that's going to take to really have him come back to being effective. The other thing you start to weigh in these decisions, too, is if you have somebody who's your second string, let's say, quarterback in this scenario, and they're pretty good, how much risk do you want to take towards your you know, kind of superstar quarterback? Um, and I'm sure that might weigh into the decision as well if they feel like they can play at a pretty high level without him, then they'll probably protect him a little longer. Dr. Brandon Seifert with us, uh, Nebraska Orthopedic Center, a Jock Doc Wednesday, Jalen Daniels, KU's quarterback, our topic. So say he doesn't have a grade three, say it's something that just needs rest and recovery, but it, was, it wasn't good, right? Say there's damage, but it wasn't something that is as severe. Um, what, what's, what's, what are some steps that can be taken uh, for, for, for Daniels here to, to get healthy, to get back? Some, some rehab, some treatment. What are some non-operative uh, choices he may have here? And, and how, how delicate is that part of the body for, for, from a re-injury standpoint? Yeah, you know, so as you look at that, Chris, one of the things I, I did want to mention just to answer Elijah's question, too, as I thought about that, you know, some of this debate into, you know, what grade is this, you know, one, two, three, what have you, it is tough. It is a little bit subjective, depending on kind of how that x-ray is taken and the view of that. My suspicion here in this scenario may have been looking at him on the sideline, things look like they were pretty popped up. Maybe that clavicle looked like it was more elevated than it was on an x-ray. And so maybe, you know, as they're looking at him on the sideline, they're thinking more, you know, grade three, maybe grade four. Maybe that comment came out about season's done versus, you know, they finally get him into the training room, shoot some pictures, some x-rays, and say, hey, you know, that's more of a grade two, three. So maybe that's part of that debate. Um, but in terms of getting him back to answer your question, you know, early on with these, definitely want to get some soft tissue rest those first couple of days. Um, these are an injury you probably want to put in a little thing called a figure of eight brace. It's kind of like backpack straps that go over the top, put a little pressure down on that area. It's a good thing to be in during the day, but you definitely want to start some early range of motion with these, limiting that uh, 
range of motion to kind of below shoulder height those first couple of days, maybe even seven to ten days. Then you kind of get through that seven to ten day period. They're feeling better. Now you can start full range of motion. You can start a strengthening program. Maybe you go through that for another seven to ten days. And then realistically at that point, you could start thinking about uh, some contact and seeing how they tolerate it, start some throwing. Um, and that'd be a reasonably aggressive timetable. Um, you know, could that go a little longer into four weeks, perhaps? It really just depends on how they feel. And again, that kind of magic thing of full strength, full motion before we really want to put a lot of force through this. Dr. Brandon Seifert with us, Nebraska Orthopedic Center. A jock doc Wednesday, Jalen Daniels, a KU quarterback, our topic. Dr. Brandon, we'll get caught up again. Great insight as always. Thanks for the time. Okay, fellas. Take care. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. One final time this second hour, it's Hail Varsity Radio. So I'm running down the, the Matt Rule Ofer ranked team's phone call here. Just went through and did a little math here. He has one win against a top, two wins against top 25 opponents uh, in in his time. Um, And that was against East Carolina. He beat Texas. And uh, also, uh, yeah, so the majority, uh, over half of those 13, came in years one at Temple in year one at Baylor. And he almost knocked off. I'm just letting you know. I don't care if you like rule. If you don't like rule, I'm letting you know that the 0-13, you're, you're at Temple for four years, and then you're at Baylor for three, and then you're off to the NFL. That's a little bit of math. I think it's, I think it's idiotic to think that he can't compete and win uh, against ranked teams, despite his record, and I'm going to I'm going to reference To here. And I'm not saying he's To, but if you look at To's record against ranked teams, it's not great. It wasn't great. Ended up being pretty good, but it was. You face like competition. You go 500. That's pretty good if you're taking on top 15s, top tens. So and- he had two wins in his final year at Baylor, where he went 11 and three where he beat Texas Tech and he beat Oklahoma State. He got really close, and I know you hate hearing that as a Nebraska fan, but he got really close early in his tenure. And one year, the AAC didn't have anybody ranked. I mean, he had one complete year that they didn't face anybody that was ranked. So to say that that Matt Rule, if he's a candidate, I mean, you can go chop up Lance Leipold's record against ranked teams. You can go chop up. Uh, Matty Campbell. I know Matt Campbell's like ten and fifteen, okay, but he's still under five hundred. You can poke holes in a lot of things, but I'm just saying the thing that's a, a, a sale for me with with a rule if he's an option if Mickey doesn't keep rocking and win it win the job, and I hope he does. I hope Mickey Joseph's your head coach, but if Trev goes a different direction because it is a national search, he's a builder, right? He's a builder. He's a developer. And there's a handful of guys that are going to come to Lincoln if they're given the option that would be really good for this program. And can I just add with Matt Roll, seven years as a college head coach, three conference title game appearances, one conference title. And New Year's Six. He beats who he's supposed to beat in his places, and 
sure, he, he's struggled against top 25 opponents, but so has Nebraska over the past 10 years. So, I mean, yeah. You, and we're not the, the Matt Rule Apology Club. I just don't I'm understand just saying, why people think he's a bad candidate. I think he's one of the best out there right now. I think, I, he's, it, I think he's number one on everybody's list. Every candidate has their shortfalls. Sure, Matt Rule has struggled against top 25 opponents. I can't contest that. But, like... If you don't think he's going to come in and be successful at Nebraska, I don't know what to tell you. You know what's you know what's really good about this pool of candidates is they've come in, they've done it their way at multiple levels. Okay? They've built, they've won, and they left the program better. Period. John, give us a shot tomorrow, brother. We're up against it. I don't want to shortchange you. Sorry about that, John. So give us a call tomorrow. But that's what the name of the game here is, is what you have here. They're big-time coaches. They're coaching the kids up. They're getting them ready. They're developing them. They're instilling confidence. If you go outside of what's here, you have options of guys that have won and won big and developed. Talk to you tomorrow at 4. A Huda Media Production.